What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Queerly Black Show. We are here with my homie. This is my friend for real, man. I'm so happy you're here. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. AD, we ain't gonna get, we ain't gonna waste no time. I ain't gonna waste your time. I know you're tired. You teaching these kids. You here getting to bed. So we're gonna do this <laughs> and we're gonna get going. So tell the people hey. a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, again, Ashley, big dog, been my big dog since I met you. You was a senior. I think I was a freshman, so definitely was looking up to you. But um, my name is Dee. I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois. I teach uh, middle school English language arts. I also teach a college-level African-American studies class. Um, I think I'm pretty cool people. Uh, definitely Most a definitely. part of the <laughs> definitely part of the what they call now the alphabet mafia. So that's the game. Um, all about mafia. my black people. <laughs> all about my black people first and foremost. And yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Let's go ahead and talk about the what is the alphabet mafia. <laughs> Well, from what I hear, the Alphabet Mafia represents the LGBTQIALMNFOP uh, group. That's no shade or anything like that. <laughs> Just making a couple jokes. I like to joke here and there. But, you know, representative of our queer community, uh, I'm definitely on Twitter. So they make jokes and give us little nicknames and I kind of flow along with them. But that's who the Alphabet Mafia is. And I am a part of that group. 100%, man. Hey, if you're not having fun, what's the point of it all? You know what Come I'm on, saying? If you can't laugh, if you can't if you laugh, can't laugh it's funny. I mean, you know, LGBT has turned into a lot of different things. It's, you know, it's just, it's all in good fun, you know? Exactly. Um, so let's get into your coming out story. So just, you know, let, let the people know how, how you became Dia, a part of the Alphabet Mafia. <laughs> um, so I wish I didn't have a coming out story because it's something that I think is just definitely archaic. Um, needs to be obsolete. Let's go ahead and obliterate that completely because I definitely exist the same way anybody else does. You know, I shouldn't have to proclaim that. However, because I am a 90s baby, you know, we did not come into the life where everyone is so, you know, much more understanding and open about the community. So, excuse me, my coming out story was pretty low key. Um, I think I was about 15 or something like that. Uh, was at my dad's house in Philly. Like I said, I live in, I'm from Chicago, live in Chicago currently. And I went to my dad's house and I decided to write my mom a letter, uh, mailed it to her, waited for her to receive it, where I was telling her, this is who I am. I finally know this about myself and accepted it. She received the letter, did not give me any response or feedback on the letter for a few weeks, extended my stay at my father's house because she couldn't quite, I guess, come to terms with it. I'm pretty unclear. It's not something that I hold near and dear in my memory. So it's definitely back there in the crevices. I don't remember a lot of details, but the first thing she said to me was, well, that's who you are. I just still want you to be a good person, which of course now I problematize that language because I was a good person before you knew that information. I'm a good person after it. But again, my mom was born in the 50s. So her viewpoint on certain things is a little skewed. Um, I don't charge it to her heart, just to her head and her experience in life. So that is what it is. Um, my dad didn't have too much to say. My dad is also a member of the Alphabet Mafia. So if he did have something to say, that would be quite weird. But you know, people throw you curveballs here and there. But um, all my friends were definitely welcoming. I was in a glass closet, so they were not surprised at all. They were like, I'm glad you're finally being yourself because I went from you know trying to fit in with the other girls in my surrounding space and that didn't last long. And once I finally showed up to a 
like a little kickback or something we had dressed in more masculine clothing. Everybody was like, oh, great. Glad we all finally arrived on the same page. So um, yeah, that was pretty much my coming out story and never looked back. And everything was smooth sailing after that for the most part. Yeah, I think it's interesting because uh, if you, like me, you present more masculine. And so a lot of times it, it kind of goes both ways. I think sometimes uh, there's an assumption that like there's certain people we think know <laughs> and then there's certain people who are like, I had no idea. I just thought you were a tomboy, right? Uh, and so right. back to the the notion of like a glass, um, like a glass closet. It's like everybody can see you. You just in there, exactly. like, you just exactly. hanging out in there. Figured out myself, right? Um, so that 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 concept of just like people not really, um, some people not just accepting it, and then some people like knowing and saying, oh, like I'm glad you, you came out. Um, so then you know, obviously we went to Howard together, and so. Uh, talk about your experience there in terms of both being in LGBT groups, but then also you were, were studying African-American studies, which is interesting because, you know, African-American culture, we have our own viewpoints of uh, the LGBT community. And so there's trying to make that connection. Um, talk, 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 talk about your experience with that. Um, so Howard was actually a very welcoming place for me. I think when I got to Howard, I felt um, the most free that I had ever felt in my experience because in my later um, high school years, I was definitely the kid that was leaving out the house in one outfit and changing in the car into something that fit more of my personality, um, definitely more masculine, you know, the cargo pants and whatever, what have you. So once I um, got to Howard, I just felt like, oh, these are my people. No one was really um, giving me any negative feedback or the turn to who I was. Um, I actually, at Howard, you know, we have org, the org fair, the organization fair, like during freshman week where you walk around, you get to pick out whatever organizations you're going to be in. And the first one they called my eye was flag football, where I met yes. my big dog. Uh, Ashley. Yes, sir. <laughs> right next to the flag football table was um, Howard LGBT group, which is the oldest standing um, LGBT group on any HBCU campus. And I was like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to not only be involved in the sports I want to be involved in, but also be openly who I am. So I quickly joined it. <coughs> Excuse me. Dry air in here. I quickly joined that um, LGBT group and later ended up becoming president of that LGBT group that is known as Cascade. So my Howard experience as far as being out, being open was honestly a big growth area for me. It was beautiful it was transformative and I appreciate it honestly I was around so many people who had like interest I realized that I was not the only one because in high school I kind of felt like the out the oddball out it was a couple people here and there but how it really opened my eyes to know that um it's not just me I'm not a black sheep we are a community and I can have a community that's not um only like-minded but also looks like me so it was just great experience all right so talk about um was there anything you learned about either yourself and the cross-section of your sexuality through your studies. Um, you studied African-American studies and culturally uh, being in this community is not necessarily accepted amongst um, the African-American culture, quite frankly. Was there anything that you learned from an educational standpoint about that? Um, even more closely, uh, my, bachelor's, my bachelor's degree is in African studies. So that's giving you a, a completely different, a completely different um, perspective 
as far as um, talking specifically about the continent. And of course the continent is very vast, but um, there are many places um, on the continent who, uh, where they are not accepting of LGBT people. So I was actually happy to see that my Howard professors were not um, using that narrative as you know the end all be all. They were, they were definitely clear about how certain places you go will not be accepting, but even beyond that, they also, I had certain classes like, um, what was the name of that class? AIDS in the African diaspora, you know, that, that talked about how many people are being affected by this disease and how it's not only impacting just people who are part of the LGBT community, but other people and being outspoken about those um, concepts. So I wouldn't say that there's anything that I necessarily learned um, about that intersectional, intersectionality that I didn't already know. But what it did show me is that people are doing the work to make changes within um, specifically the communities and countries within Africa who are not accepting. Um, and when I got to grad school, I was able to actually study abroad in South Africa where they uh, have a very large black LGBT community. So it was marvelous to be able to um, see that and not just stick to the narrative of, you know, everywhere across the continent, you will be condemned if you are LGBT, even though that is still a, a you know, a, re a reality. Yeah. It's not everywhere. It's not a monolith. So I was happy to be able to learn that because as an American, sometimes our view on the continent is skewed and is only seen in the media. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that's, uh, I mean, I, I think people are going to be uh, interested to find that out because there are places that when you are, you know, in the queer community, you tend to uh, shy away from because of your fear of, you know, consequences just because of your sexual orientation. So it's nice to learn about those things, you know, prior to traveling and exploring different places. So that's good to know. Um, mm -hmm. I think a, a common theme about uh, your journey, something that's always been interesting to me is you occupy a lot of spaces where you don't traditionally find, uh, you know, <laughs> queer people, which I think is awesome because that's the only way to normalize it is to, for us to exist in a lot of different places and for people to see a lot of different versions of what we look like. Um, so you're in a divine nine organization. And I think, you know, as it relates to that, I want to just understand and help people who are in the queer community and who may have that interest, but have whatever thoughts in their mind about the journey or why it may or may not be an option. Talk about your own journey as much as you can, mm -hmm. of course. Um, about uh, being in a Divine Nine organization? Um, so I do love that you bring that up because I'm a big um, talker. I love to um, discuss intersectionality in that way about how I'm not just Black, I'm also gay, I'm also a woman. And then it's to add in, you know, the fourth marker of I'm also masculine presenting. Um, so I will be honest about my journey into uh, my organization. I was hesitant just like anybody else would be, I was fearful. I was nervous that I wouldn't be accepted for who I am. But I just want to give a huge, you know, shout out to my mom. She can't hear this, but she instilled something to me that I will never let go of, which is to always show up as yourself. No matter where you go, no matter what you're doing, you can't be anybody but who you are because you'll just be traveling in the same lie, trying to keep it up and trying to maintain somebody that you're not. And the easiest thing for you to do is be yourself. And that's all I can do. And when I feel my best, I am being myself. And when I show up as myself and as my best, I, pre I perform the best. So I was able to, you know, shine through not just with my resume, not just with um, my efforts, but just as 
being who I am. And I think that that's what led me through my journey and has helped me in so many other spaces, um, just being who I am. Yeah. And so have you, have you faced any adversity at all being in, uh, being in your organization in in any of the spaces at all? Mm -hmm. Or do you feel like people can feel like, look, if this is something you want to do, you know, with that mindset of, you know, show up as yourself, you know, be authentic, be real, um, that you can do anything. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, something that I just want to point out is that I face so much more acceptance than I did adversity. And I think that that's more important to highlight. I think anywhere you go, you're going to face adversity. The world is already inherently anti-Black. The world is mo- is often, you know, anti-gay, especially when you're Black. So when you show up into spaces, you're not going to always meet someone who is uh, fulfilled enough in their own journey, and their own perspective to understand or acknowledge or accept who you are. And I think going into that, into it with that mindset and understanding that I'm not here to change everyone's mind, but I am here to authentically be myself. I don't even let that adversity, you know, stay in my mind. It rolls off my back. Um, so again, for me, with, of course there was adversity, just like any, any other space that you were going to occupy. But the acceptance was overwhelming from the majority of people and not just, you know, as a whole, they are, you know, full of wonderful women who are accepting of who you are and how you show up every day. So I think that's one of the main reasons why I love and still am and and still and will continue to be devoted to my organization. That's awesome. I think one of the things you brought up that I think is super, is super important is that everyone is going through their own journey. And even though it might not be a queer journey, right? But it is still a journey. There's still mm-hmm. levels of incompletion within everyone. And so there are a lot of people who they're like, I don't have time to judge you. I got my own stuff going on. You know what I'm <laughs> exactly. saying? Mm-hmm. I can't be looking at you any kind of way. I'm over here trying to figure out my own self, mm-hmm. you know, and just in different ways. But sometimes, you know, people kind of put that in their mind of like, this is, this weighs more than something else, but it's like everybody's journey is different and everybody's going through stuff. So mm-hmm. I think that's super cool. Um, you mentioned earlier, your dad is also a part of uh, the queer community. Um, and also in your coming out story, talked about how your dad's response was different than your mom's. Um, talk about the difference in your conversations going forward with both of your parents, um, but specifically your dad, who is also in the queer community. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my father and I's relationship is definitely, he, he's just always been a very, you know, I want to know who you're dating, what you're doing, what you got going on type of person, and not just to be a parent, but because that's just a, you know, a topic of conversation that he doesn't shy away from. So, and sharing it with him, uh, he kind of gave me the whole, like, I already knew that. Like, you know, thanks for telling me what I already knew. And that was fine. So we were um, able to easily, you know, shift the the dynamic into okay, so you date girls, so, you know, what's up? You date women, let's talk about it. Like, who you dating? I would love to meet them, and it was fine. Um, my mother, on the other hand, who they have an 11-year age difference. My dad is 11 years younger than her. So, again, two different generations, a decade between being, you know, growing up in the 70s and growing up in the 80s. Different different dynamics there. So um, her conversation with me is still a little stunted, but I think I can tell that, this con- our conversation would have been the same whether I was straight or gay. She just does, that's just not the, the dynamic of our relationship to, you know, consistently talk about dating or things like that. 
So, you know, I would honestly say I have a great relationship as far as my sexuality is concerned with uh, both parents. They're uh, open when they want to be in it and as much as is comfortable for their own personality. Right. You know, I don't need, I don't need my mom to be, who are you dating? What you're doing? I get enough of that yeah. from my dad. You know what yeah. I'm saying? That's just, again, just our relationship. Still, if I were to introduce her to someone I was dating, she would be open. She would be welcoming. She just has that same motherly concern that any mother would have as far as their uh, child's well-being. And that's really her main focus at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's so good because, <clears throat> again, everyone having their own journey, but you, the mature approach of understanding that every parent is going to be different according to their own limitations Mm -hmm. and sometimes you have to push them sometimes you have to like okay I'm gonna need you to come I'm gonna need you to raise up a little bit right but Mm -hmm. then also like not having these unrealistic expectations of like oh my mom's gonna be all in my business like who you date girl where Mm -hmm. you going out you know that's not us you know what I'm saying I I think it's 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 really critical to to find that level of comfort Mm -hmm. with them Mm -hmm. depending on where they are you know and I think what you bring up is really important that like having the age gap between your parents right your mom being older your dad being younger him having a little bit more acceptance I think even aside from the fact that he's queer himself right like he's younger so there's a little bit of a difference in Mm -hmm. terms of what his understanding yeah. of the world is, and, you know, mm-hmm. mom having a little bit more of a traditional, uh, a yeah. tr- traditional mind. Um, there anyway, were still growing pains though. Don't yeah. get me wrong. No, absolutely. There were still growing pains. My mom basically gave me the whole, um, okay, if you want to look like a boy, that's fine, but make sure them pants are still around your waist and not hanging off your, you know, she 100%. still gave me that. Exactly. <laughs> my dad still, you know, the, I think the only thing he can struggle with me and my sexuality he struggled a little bit with my presentation as far as masculinity. That's where, you know, he's made a couple of comments that have not really, you know, have honestly just rubbed me the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've been able to discuss and talk about it. And that's the the part of, you know, adulthood, being able to have genuine conversations with your parents and saying, hey, that hurt my feelings. Another thing that isn't, you know, as spoken about often within the black community is having that, that opportunity and space to say, this was something that I didn't enjoy. This was something that you said that did not rub me the right way and being able to have a fruitful conversation about it and not be seen as, you know, disrespect or any of those things. So again, growing pains happen, but I think that we're on the the end of the spectrum of moving upward at this point. Mm-hmm. What were some of those things like you came home and like, I remember times where like my mom, uh, I would go home and my mom would have bought me something and I'd be like, mom, I haven't dressed like that in seven years. Like, where have you mm-hmm. been? And I, it, the, the notion of like, I know that, you know, I don't wear this like, <laughs> you know, but her kind of like, okay, maybe if I buy it for her, you know, she'll wear yeah. it. What were some of those? I don't know those? why they press that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't get it. And my mom has done the same thing. Now she hasn't really done it since I was in, um, you know, younger. She'd be like, well, I don't understand why you have to wear this men's button up when I can just get you a blouse. Why can't you just wear this blouse or come in the house? I got you a nice top. Here's this top you can wear. So she definitely um, had those comments. Other than that, she she just kind of stays in her lane. What she doesn't know, she doesn't know. She just minds her business. My dad, on the other hand, even recently, and at this point, I'm I'm 30. I'm like, come on. <laughs> I, I've honestly looked this way since I was 15. But I recently got a pretty, very large uh, leg tattoo. It's like over my whole leg. It's a sleeve. So I showed it to him and his immediate response was, um, 
so I guess you'll never wear a dress again, huh? That today is when you landed on that. <laughs> this this is when this is when you arrived at the point in which you believe that I will never wear a dress again. This this is the marker for you. She like that. Like, we talked about 14, 14 years ago. Nothing like, nothing rang off. <laughs> exactly. So you know little things like that. Um, some other comments that honestly had that I pushed out of my mind because I try not to hold on to those things. But again, nothing too, you know, harmful that it, that it stuck or anything. Just it, it was it was just naivety, you know, things that they're not used to seeing. Because when we, we speak generationally, um, the level of masculinity that I think um, young girls or um, however they identify themselves are able to express today is completely different from the level of masculinity, <clears throat> level of masculinity or androgyny that women were able to express in, you know, past, past times. It's just not the same. It's, it's vastly different. Um, as a teacher, again, I teach 11 and 12 year olds and I have students who are 11 and 12 and there are young girls who are presenting mascul masculinely and I'm jealous. I'm jealous that I was not able to, you know, step into that the way I wanted to at that age, because then it was, yeah, I can, you know, be rough and run around like a tomboy all the time until it was time for me to get dressed, take pictures or, you know, do this or that. And I would have to switch it up. They're able to fully express themselves in the way that they want to in, you know, ways that we just weren't able to or just did not even have the language thoughts or images or representation to be able to do that. So I'm, you know, happy to be on the side of being that representation at this time. So Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's amazing to see, I think because so much of it now as we get older we understand that not having to be able not to be to not be able to express yourself and not have that understanding so young and as you're growing up it plays on your mental health and um i talked to another person who was talking about the journey of like their their mental health journey and how it it, it affected them other ways like aside from your sexuality like forget that but like talk about me as a person right like my mm -hmm. life um, and so for, for kids, to, for you to see kids now who are so young and it not even be a thing, right. Mm -hmm. On top of all the things that they're going to already have to experience, like this is going to be something that is not really going to be a thing for them. Um, and, right. and I think that's, that's a beautiful thing to see. Um, so talk about, you know, you, you are a teacher and 11 and 12th grade, that's very formative time for kids. <laughs> so talk about your journey as a teacher from everything from, uh, your pronouns to the questions to uh, you know the the administration and how you interact with parents and you mm -hmm. know all of the all the things mm -hmm. um, so I again I let my personality shine through I step into the room as if you you don't have time to consider my sexuality because I'm here showing up ready to do work ready to be an excellent teacher ready to you know teach children because that's what I'm here for anything, you know, besides that is irrelevant. I'm also fortunate enough to be in um, a school and academic space where I work, where everyone is like overwhelmingly accepting. Like if you, I work on the third floor and you walk down the hallway, we have a huge bulletin board that has a um, large pride flag on it. So it's something that we advocate for in my uh, space. Our kids are concerned against sixth graders. So we're talking about <laughs> like <laughs> breathe dear breathe <laughs> we're talking about 11 and 12 year olds they some of i have half my students have not turned 12 yet so we're talking about the babies 
Um, but we also have to consider in today's generation, they have so much access to things that I didn't even get to touch or think about until high school. So we're, you know, the TikTok and the, the social media and the Snapchat and everything. So they know a lot more terms that I'm actually surprised that they do know. They advocate for something more than I was, you know, I, sometimes they overwhelm me. Sometimes they, they take me aback. But this is my first year teaching at this school um, as, for a full year. And on day two, kids were, hmm, Miss Bennett, are you a part of the LGBTQ community? Um, damn, I just got here. Uh, <laughs> um, but I was happy to answer that, like, yes, I am, because mm -hmm. I don't want them to, uh, to um, associate shame or fear with me saying, yes, I am gay. Mm -hmm. That's fine. And they're also more accepting than people give them credit for. I said, yes, I am gay. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. You know, or you just keep going. To, uh, they honestly so what time is recess you know they move on very quickly I also have a few who respond and say oh me too and you know laugh and snicker and that's fine I leave that where it is because I don't deal <laughs> it's a conversation deal for your parents it's not for me exactly. to talk to you about <laughs> exactly like I don't want no problems I work for a public school like let's uh, not even right. uh no picky signs outside of this school <laughs> based on me with my face on it no we're not doing that um and I also just have to protect myself in that way because you know some people associate gayness to hypersexuality and you know people have adverse thoughts really so mm -hmm. I keep that that pretty distance but I'm also not afraid to have a conversation because it's not abnormal it's not abnormal to be gay and I make sure that they are clear on that so if they ask me anything that's within reason for a child and in reason for a teacher student conversation of course I can answer um they're funny trust me some of their responses and questions are um hilarious to say the least but they don't have too much to say they they know it they see it and again they have a lot more representation than we used to have so on day one, two, they were able to identify, hmm, maybe a part of this community because of, you know, her appearance, the way she dresses, and they were felt comfortable asking their questions. And I'm glad that I made them feel like it was a safe space to do that. Yeah. How about the parents? Any, any conversations with parents? They're all good? I'm talking about, so is, how was my son behaving? Are there any right. issues? Oh, okay, right. cool. They don't, That's they awesome. don't care. That's incredible. Not one bit. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Because they they like, if my kid is at school, are they performing well? <laughs> and and that's the, and, and I'm just happy to see that shift because, yeah. of, of course, you know that there are still some people out there who have completely just outdated, outlandish opinions. But I'm thankful to say I don't hear or see too much of that. Like I said, we're a very um, affirming school in all spaces. Yeah, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. So you uh you recently did a, a Dove campaign, huh? We doing a little bit of modeling. <laughs> you know, just redefining beauty, okay? <laughs> just a little something. Just a little bit, you know. Talk a little bit about mm -hmm. that uh, that opportunity. Um, so bringing it back, one of my line sisters happens to also be one of my closest closest friends. We became friends before we became line sisters, so it seems to be destined in that way but um she actually works uh very closely in marketing so she had a client her client was dove and dove pitched to her hey we want to do this campaign on what we would consider or what people consider to be um unconventional beauty and you know we're looking for models so you know she said oh i think i have the perfect person for you so she just sent me the application on a whim and i was like hey sure i'll go ahead and apply Next thing you know, I made it to the second round of um, interviews. Next thing you know, I made it to the third round of interviews. Next thing you know, I had a photographer coming to Chicago to shoot me. And 
uh, my family's house, which has been in our family for over 40 years. So she shot some beautiful photos there. Then next thing you know, she's come, she's calling me to say, hey, I need to come back in a week. They want us to take photos of you when you're playing flag football. Can we take photos of you as you're being a teacher? So they were just telling me, hey, we love these photos. Not only that, we love the way that you are representing yourself. Like you said earlier, Ashley, in all these spaces where you just aren't used to, I guess, seeing someone who presents in a way, uh, in the way that I do. Um, and then that turned into, hey, we also want to feature you in Cosmopolitan. So not only was I featured in Dove, I was also in Cosmopolitan, Mag Cosmopolitan Magazine in April. And that was probably one of the most enlightening experiences that I've had in a long time. And you don't, sometimes don't realize how much you need to be reassured until you are. Um, because I may show up confident, you know, majority of the time, but just like anybody else, I see dark days, I start to question myself and question how I'm accepted or valued in spaces because of how I present. So it was honestly a beautiful experience and would have continued had we not been, you know, quarantined and the pandemic happened. But either way, I'm thankful for it, for not just myself, but also anybody who opened that magazine and said, hey, what's going on here? You know, someone that looks like me or looks like someone I've never seen before modeling, you know, it, it felt really good to be uh, upheld in that way and in that space. Yeah, and that was a, it was a beautiful campaign. I mean, everybody, all of you guys did an amazing job. It was definitely a beautiful, a beautiful campaign. So uh, switch topics just a little bit. Um, <laughs> let's talk about uh, dating as a, mm -hmm. uh, as a, as a male presenting uh, woman. Um, mm -hmm. and specifically because, you know, you're male presenting, but you identify as a woman, right? And so, um, how, how's that experience for been for you? I know you're in a relationship now, um, mm -hmm. but in your journey, uh, how, how's dating been for you? And what are some things that you can, um, enlighten other people on in terms of how to navigate that journey? Um, it is a journey that requires you to ask yourself the tough questions. I think that's the, the first part. And it's also a journey that requires you to focus more on how you want to show up and less of the box that people create for you and how they want you to show up. Um, specifically in the black lesbian community, there are a lot of boxes. There are a lot of you should act this way if you are a stud. You should act this way or look this way if you are a femme, a femme, all of these different, you know, names. So for me, I look back on some of the performative ways that I was exuding who I was and I sometimes cringe, but then I, you know, dial it back and say, hey, you were learning, you were young. But there were um, several points in my, in my young, young, like, or late teens, so 18, 19, where I felt like I was performing masculinity as opposed to just being my best self. And it wasn't all the time because again, I've said before, I have always been masculine. My dad makes jokes about how when I was a little girl, like single digit age, I would constantly say, don't buy me anything pink or purple. Wow. That was just something <laughs> that I, I didn't, he, he constantly made jokes about it, but it was who I was. I've been playing basketball since I could stand up. I've been involved in sports since I could stand up. It's just always how I've been. I've always hung around boys. It's just what I, what I like. So when I became older and realized, hey, I don't have to force myself into any box. I don't have to force myself into this box of how girls are supposed to look. I don't have to force myself into this box of how men are supposed to look. I always wear what I like, what I view, what I see, what makes me feel comfortable. So um, that's my biggest thing as being masculine as far as my dress, as far as dating. I'm the same way myself. Um, 
have I before in the past struggled with, hey, is this girl going to like me if I'm being like, you know, a little too feminine or exuding something that, that she may not like because they only like the masculine side. If at any point you are questioning yourself and how you're performing, you need to step back, reassess and figure out what, what else you need to do. If the person that you're with is telling you or dictating to you, they don't like how you're doing something because it's too feminine or too this then you need to also have a conversation with yourself and then have a conversation with your partner about how you need to reassess. Because at the end of every day, you have to show up authentically you or you're going to drain yourself. And that's something I had to learn. Um, do I typically, not even typically, do I only date feminine presenting women? Yes, but that's not because that's what I'm supposed to do. It's because that's who I'm attracted to. That's always been, you know, my direction, my seeds, my go-to, and that just is what it is. But that's what I like. I can't dictate what anybody else likes. I just know where, you know, what my ballpark is and who's in my, what's in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. Um, so if there's, so the one thing that you would, um, tell young girls that are going through the same journey or even older women, mm -hmm. um, is be yourself. Take your time. Like try mm -hmm. different things out. Don't just cancel something out just because you think, oh, I can't do that. I'm, I'm a stud or I can't do that. I'm too hard do whatever it is that you want to do. Mm -hmm. Don't knock it till you try it. That's how I feel about almost everything. Now, some things you may not really like, like me personally, <laughs> I don't like boys. Right. I'm good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and, and there are some things you can just do without, but as far as like switching up styles, switching up the way you dress, or even maybe if you want to consider dating somebody who's not necessarily in the you know realm of what you usually go for, try that too. So I think that's the biggest uh, tip I can get to anybody. Be yourself and don't knock it till you try it. That's awesome. Good, man. So we're at the end of the show, man. Is there oh, any man. parting advice, uh, parting uh, notes for a young girl that's out there, young guy, a transgender individual that's on their own journey and struggling and you want to help them out? Anything that you would share with them? Uh, yeah. Uh, create your family or your village. Um, especially if you're someone who's maybe been outcasted by the people who are your kinfolk, your blood relatives, um, venture out. You got use the internet for some, you know, great good. If you see someone on, you know, some page or something you follow, reach out to a community, make your own community. I think, uh, I think that my village at Howard was transformative for me. Uh, we may not all be as tight as we were when we were in undergrad because people change and shift and things grow, but that village helped me a lot more than um, I give credit to. And even when I moved into finding my own village later, um, I still owe a lot of thanks to my formative years and that those people who were around me because they were like-minded. They understood me. I wasn't trying to constantly explain myself to my straight friend and help them help them understand what's happening in the gay world. You really need allies. And by allies, I mean some that ones that are able to be empathetic and sympathetic. So find your village, hold on tight. Don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to try new things. Just be you. Yeah, that's good. That's good, man. All right, y'all, this is it, man. <laughs> Thank y'all for tuning in to another episode of the Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley, and I'll catch y'all on the next one.